Please be advised, nothing in this podcast should be taken as therapy, medical care, or mental health care advice. Topics discussed by the host and guests reflect their own personal experiences and are not intended to replace the services of medical or mental health professionals. And please know, if you are having any thoughts of self-harm or taking your own life, please call or text 988. Help is available 24-7. No matter what, in this journey of life, we all have something. Something we're going through, something we've been through, or maybe something we're proud of, something we're grateful for. I'm Rick Schwartz, life coach, public speaker, and all-around curious guy. And my life and my curiosity and the lives of the many people I have worked with have taught me time and time again, there are challenges to overcome and there are successes to celebrate. And honestly, neither one of them are permanent. You're listening to We All Have Something, a podcast about the human experience, about embracing what we have been through, where we are, and where we want to go. A podcast about celebrating our authentic self. And I am so glad you're here with me because we're going to laugh together, we're going to cry, and in the end, we will be the better for it. So let's get started. Welcome to our very first episode with an interview on We All Have Something. Now, this particular interview, I know you're going to get a lot out of this, but I want to let you know, kind of set the stage here. It's in the foundation of understanding the neuroscience of communication, and that includes both in the workplace business communications, but also individual communications, really understanding more of the nuances of communication. So let me introduce you to Alex Yates. He is a high-energy, high-impact, neuroscience-infused business leader, bringing inspirational approaches for transformational work with over 25 years of experience, which means he graduated college before he even sent his first email. (laughs) Hello, Gen X, I can relate. He grew up in San Diego, where he started his career doing market research for a top 40 radio station, then moved into sales training for San Diego Padres, then recruiting for a university. All this before he moved to Chicago and reinvented himself as a marketing madman then moved into roles of leadership consulting for Humana, change management for Kraft Foods, and now leads work around change agility for organizational transformations. A lifelong learner with a creative approach to most everything, Alex is the king of metaphors and analogies who applies 21st century research of neuroscience and human-centered design to shift mindsets to help people choose the change. Alex moved from sunny San Diego to seasonal Chicago in the middle of a January snowstorm, so he's personally experienced transformational change. He currently happily lives in Chicago with his Instagram influencer wife and two kids, where Alex has been voted Dad of the Year nine consecutive years in his household. This is this is pretty impressive. Alex, thanks so much for joining us on the program. Good morning. Happy to be here, Rick. Really glad that you could make it because I love, I think the work you do is is something that happens sometimes behind the scenes if people haven't experienced change in their organization or, or needing consultants to come in. So to start off with, I'd love for you to share with the audience, what is it that you do exactly for work and why are you so passionate about it? So I grew up in San Diego. I went to Mary Mesa High School and then Mesa College and San Diego State where I studied speech and uh, speech communications. I was on the speech and debate team and I am very passionate about persuasion. And so getting people to, who had no idea about a certain topic or concept uh, just minutes before are now suddenly swayed that this is, you know, a good idea to go. And so that served me well in my career. 
and that power of persuasion is very helpful. Um, I got into some marketing roles, and uh, I wanted to write a Super Bowl commercial. Um, <laughs> you know that that might so happen. Um, and then I uh, did leadership development with Humana, helping you know coach people about how to to lead people better. And then um, I sort of stumbled into change management. But to me, my career has always been about persuasion and getting people to orient and see the world different. So now my job is really on human performance and how do you get the people to act differently and move differently. And so I use the metaphor of a flock of birds. You know, it'd be great if an organization moved in harmony and synchrony like a flock of birds. But if most organizations were a flock of birds, we'd be crashing into each other like a bunch of pelicans and albatrosses and it would be a disaster. And so my job is to sort of be the air traffic controller to help companies do things with the people side of change and help people to, you know, get on board with it and to move in that direction. So I do a lot of technology adoption. We roll out some different systems, different processes. But I actually studied when I was in college, all of that work back in the day in the 90s was about culture and helping change culture. And there was a very small select people did, who did that, and I wanted to study that. Today, change management is much more prevalent because of technology. Because companies will spend millions of dollars on these rollouts, they'll spend some money on a change management team to make sure that the people actually adopt all the stuff that they've implemented. At this time, you drop in, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you kind of drop into an organization that needs assistance through change management and wh- whatever that might be for that organization, correct? Correct. Yeah, so um, a company will, will bring in um, a team and it'll be sometimes just me. Um, sometimes there'll be a team of people and we'll say, okay, so there's a system that's going to be rolling out in the next 90 days or whatever. And really my goal and my framework is this. You get, Change management can be very simple. You think of it from the thing of beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors. And a lot of people start with like, well, how do we change behavior? And, you know, we all have different habits and they serve us well because our habits are shortcuts that we know. And sometimes those shortcuts serve us well on a certain path. And when that path changes, that habit actually works against us. And so before we can even talk about behaviors, I really talk about the mindset that you need to have. Because if people believe it, they'll find a way to achieve it. And most organizations skip the part about the why. So Simon Sinek's, you know, the power of why resonates with us because sometimes we're wanting to know what our why is. Sometimes people want to know, what am I doing in my career? Where is my meaning? And you're changing the rules. And right now I'm really good at these rules. And now these rules are different. And I don't like these rules. And I want to go back to the old rules and trying to undo that. So there's a little bit of industrial psychology that I do of, you know, industrial therapy of letting people talk through, you know, all the issues and pain. And so in change management, I talk about how any sort of change makes holes in people. And the point of change management, good change management, good leadership is actually to help fill those holes. And so I've gotten really passionate about neuroscience because it's given me a very defined framework about how to help leaders fill those holes in people so they are psychologically safe, so they do believe it and they do trust you. They will have a good attitude, and then being able to have new behaviors will will come with that. I'm really glad you brought that up about – well, just, you brought up a lot of great things in that. First, the be- beliefs, habits, and behaviors. I think that is something that as uh, – from a coaching side of things, I work on that with individuals to make them see that those habits that they do have now may not be serving them moving forward as they're trying to change themselves. And so I love the parallel that you brought into that with the whole change for organizations and, and corporations and because it's made up of individuals. So it makes the same – makes sense that way. 
But you also mentioned the neuroscience of it all. Can you kind of give me a definition of the neuroscience side of things that is a little more consumer friendly to understand what that means? Because I, I, I think it's fascinating how neuroscience plays such an important role to understanding our behavior and our activities moving forward as we process things. Yeah. So it's funny that neuroscience is a thing now. And if you're wondering, like, why is neuroscience a thing now? Why wasn't it something a little while ago? You know, before... Um, x-rays, the only way to study brains was on dead people. And so, in fact, the Egyptians studied a lot of dead people. In fact, they actually, when they uh, put the um, sarcophagus in the tombs, they actually carved out with a spoon their brains because they thought that they were actually not worthwhile. Um, And then x-rays allowed us to start looking at brains. It wasn't until 1977 that they actually had MRIs. It wasn't until 1990 that they introduced fMRIs or EEGs where they can actually monitor brain waves. And since 1990, there's been researchers kind of coming up with stuff that's finally hit the marketplace in like the early 2010s. So this past decade, we've actually started to see the early stages. Now we're learning things about neuroscience that we probably will learn differently. But to me, it's about, it's the study of your brain and the brain waves and how you react to things. So you can say on self-report survey, this is what I really care about. But a brain can flash up an image and say, no, you like your Apple computer, iPhone, you know, more than you do your family or wow, you like Disney more than you like, you know, going to church. And so, um, to me, the thing that I like about neuroscience is it takes away the randomness of, um, all these books like seven highly habits, which are a good book. You know, it's something that I read and, but then guess what? A year later they came out with the eighth habit. I'm like, so, okay. So it's not seven habits. It's eight habits now. And to me, the thing about neuroscience is it gives you like five domains. And so, um, so there's a framework that I came up with that I use as a mnemonic to help people sort of navigate every personal relationship for work and life. What you said is perfect. In the beginning of this, this sort of description of it, it is new science that's developed just in the last few decades. And right now, we only have a certain view of what we know because of the tools we have invented and have for us. Moving forward, we could possibly learn more as well. And and the fact that neuroscience really does give us that that sort of concrete, no, you, you might say that you prefer this or that in the survey, but your brain chemistry, the way your, your brain is lighting up and the imagery is showing us something different. And, and I think there's value in that and, and understanding that. And especially, I think, you know, for the work you do, but I want to kind of, I want to kind of ask you with, as you have developed that understanding. So you had that passion of, you know, working with people in the sense of, I want to give people different perspective, you know, and, and speech and debate and all of that. And, and as you rolled into learning more about neuro- neuroscience, as it grew in the field as well, how has your understanding of neuroscience and all of this impacted your personal life? Just you as a person knowing these things about, you know, this is how humans behave, or this is how we respond, and this is how we can shape behavior. Aside from the professional side of things, how has this impacted your life? Yeah, to me, learning this framework um, has been a game changer. And it's funny, I actually didn't know anything about neuroscience until I was interviewing with my company. And the guy interviewing me had just come from a conference where this guy, David Rock, had um, he's uh, works for a company called the Neural Leadership Institute out of New York. And I've actually gone to their conference um, there in 2017. And there's a lot of PhD people doing research. Um, but to me, the pragmatic way of this is how we look at your brain and how you respond to stimuli. Because we're all stimulus response things. Um, and it's made me realize, um, it's taught me the language of how to communicate it to folks. It's also taught me um, a way to understand it, that. And that is that everything that we orient to is threats and rewards. And so when you are in a relationship, 
We know this intuitively, and now it's given us the language of what we don't want to do is trigger people to be in a threat state. And so you will know not to say or do certain things because someone's going to have a certain reaction. Well, that's a trigger, and they're going to retreat. And everyone's default mechanism is negative. If I tell my kids, hey, kids, do you guys want to know? Go get ice cream? Oh, yeah. <laughs> everyone's default response is no. Nobody likes change on any kind. And so um, knowing that it's, you know, we want to get people towards a reward state and keep them there as much as possible, um, that's been very helpful to know that. And so understanding psychological safety and being able to communicate to leaders in companies or even family members like, well, they feel very attacked here or they feel like they don't have control or they don't feel like they have certainty or you're not being fair to them. And so, you know, you need to communicate that we're all going through this. And so this, there's, it's a way to have very defined talking points on, on how to focus people's times because there's a thousand things you can cover. And rather than seven highly habits or the eighth habits, we can get into some very specific domains that your body cares about with psychological safety. Do you ever find yourself with this knowledge you have uh, when you have someone coming at you that does not perhaps have a full understanding of how to best approach or ask questions or deal with something? Do you find in yourself, okay, I feel myself being triggered by this or, oh, I see what I'm doing as a response to this person and this is how I could respond better? Yeah, it's, it's we, we, we make assumptions and we go with the information hand and we make statements. And so sometimes those could be accusing statements. And I think the hardest thing to do as a human is to stop and ask questions. And sometimes I feel when I'm attacked, like, you know, if you would have asked me a question, like, why are you doing that? Versus like, don't telling me not to do that. Like, I'm not a child. I know, I know what I'm doing. You should probably ask the reason why I'm doing it. Like there's a motivation for it. Or maybe I don't understand your reason because you have experience and maybe I should not do what I'm about to do, but maybe ask me what it is that you're doing. And it's, it's hard for me. It's made me a better dad. It's made me a better husband, but I'm also sensitive watching people who are clumsy with it. And so trying to role model that for them because it's a matter of showing, you know, show it if you know it. Right. And, and that's hard to do that every day. But I think some people don't have good coping skills. Um, but I found that it's it's easier to try to role model it. And um, it just puts me in a better mindset to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I, I like how you said, too, that it's uh, it's not something that's necessarily easy, you know, that it, you got to. It's 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 work. You got to work on those those thoughts and those those habits and those behaviors versus a triggered response. So I appreciate that answer. Going back to to your work, I want to kind of see the perspective through your eyes. Uh, you know, a lot of times companies bring you in, and organizations bring you in at times of change, like we mentioned. You know, they got to facilitate something shifting in in ninety days or whatever it may be. What has been your observation with people and how they process and work through change? The changes don't really matter. Whatever the changes are, people want to feel protected. So we're all mammals, and you do not survive in the world without the support and love of other mammals. You will die if you do not have other mammals looking out for you. And that's a fact of our evolution. And how our society has evolved, our brains have not caught up with that. So people just want to know that you are looking out for them, and they will do whatever it is to move heaven and earth to protect that unit. When people feel like they are not part of the unit, they will work. They will not work or they will work aggressively against you. And so a lot of it is, what is that? How do people feel connected and a sense of belonging? And when people don't have a sense of belonging, you get things like school shootings or you get people who, you know, want to attack or discredit or they want to gaslight people. 
And to me, it's a matter of what is your community that you feel connected to? And people listening to this are probably saying, well, if you're gaslighting, you're probably belonging to a certain community that's opposite of mine. But to me, it's, you know, I, I walk leaders through, you know, some neuroscience and I said, how are you communicating that they belong? How are you showing that? How are you demonstrating that? Like, what is it you, that you know about them? And I think one of the more revealing things is I've had conversations with teams that have worked together for like 15, 20, 30 years, and they will get to reveal something that these coworkers didn't know about them. Oh, I didn't know that you had a chip on your shoulder because you felt that your parents loved your brother more than you, and that's why you will always work really hard and you will always deliver, you know. Or, oh, I didn't know, like, I had a client who was a huge sports fan. He used to work at a university, was a sports reporter, loved sports, talked sports all the time. Did not know that one of his own team members of 10 years played NCAA football. And I said, yeah, I was talking to Bruce, and he was telling me that, you know, he had two touchdowns. He's like, wait, Bruce played football in college? I'm like, dude, I've been here four months. <laughs> like, what? what is it you're talking about? Like, you know, people have, you know, it, it's that thing of, you know, I think the great thing about COVID is that it's put empathy and, you know, more empathetic leadership on the table. And so what was fringe of Brene Brown has become mainstream. And that I love because I've been doing that for years. And now all the stuff that I had to convince people that this is important to listen to, now people are very open to like, okay, what's the framework to doing it? My last comment on that is if you have a job where your job is to make numbers go up or down, that's an easy job. You know, do less of this, do more of that, the numbers change. My job is get people to care more. Okay. What's the recipe for that? <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, it's that, it's that empathy. It's that care. So on that note, it's it's one thing for leaders to work on helping their teams or multiple teams, if you will, through change. Do you have any suggestions for how someone can deal with changes better to make it less challenging for them? So instead of the, the leader who needs to show that compassion and show that their team members belong, be the person on the other side of that table. Be that team member that, that's like, oh my gosh, my, my life is changing now because these things are changing at work. What would be the one tip you could give them that would help them process and move through this? So the framework that I came up with, and there's um, some variations of this, um, but it's called peace. And the model is peace. And everybody can do this for any human interaction. And peace boils down to purpose. And people, you know, when they look at purpose, they want a sense that they are contributing to others. Your work has meaning. That will help you go above and beyond. And your passion is your enthusiasm for work. And it's personal to you. And I think... Getting that locked in on purpose of knowing what is your purpose for yourself, for your team. I usually say like me, we, and us. What's what's our purpose for myself? What is it for our dynamic? And then what is it for our organization? And let's make sure that we're aligned on that. And if that's off, then people are going to you know feel disjointed. After purpose, it's ego. You know, what is the status? Where am I in the pecking order? Whenever there's a change rolled out, it's like, wow, that person got promoted. So they don't value me as much. Is that, is that what that means? You know, we go through all these threats and rewards about, you know, ego and status all the time. And we're always worried, you know, when a new neighbor moves onto the block, oh, I thought I was the nice guy who hosted barbecues. Now that guy's having a barbecue, like little things like that. Everybody is looking at threats and rewards and, and it's a continuum. So one day you can feel really good about your status. And the next day something is introduced and you, you think about all the negative consequences. So we have purpose and ego of the peace model. And that's autonomy, sense of control. Usually with a lot of organizations, they take away control from people. Now we're going to automate this. Now it's going to go through the app. Now you don't get to interact with your customers. Now they're just going to have this transaction and your job is just to check their app and make sure it's okay. So, you know, 
as transactions get automated, which by the way, if there's a transaction in your life, it will be automated at some point in the next 10 years. Our value as humans is those interactions. And what are we doing to feel connected to those humans during those interactions? But a lot of control and autonomy is being lost when change is rolled out. So there's a little bit of trading. If you lose control, what else can you give people? Certainty is the other part of the peace model. So we have purpose, ego, autonomy, and certainty. People want to know what's around the corner. We are pattern-making you know, machines, and we're always trying to look for patterns. And people usually make up patterns to try to fit their algorithm in their head. Um, but I tell people, if you can't give people certainty of information, this is what we know about COVID. This is what we know about monkeypox or whatever. Give people certainty of process. So I tell leaders... Tell them you'll give them an update every Wednesday at noon. And at Wednesday at noon, if you show up and say, my update is there's no news, people like that. That calms them down. That keeps them in the reward state, keeps them from being threatened. The last thing is equality. People want to make sure that it's fair. And people are hypersensitive, you know, animals especially, right? How many studies have been done that animals perceive like, wow, I got a banana and he got a grape? I love grapes. Why do you like that monkey more than me? People sense if you ask somebody to do a task that they won't do themselves, you perceive that slight and you magnify it. So if you can look at that peace model of purpose, ego, autonomy, certainty, inequality, it it parlays itself into all areas of our life. You know, sporting events. Wow, you got tickets and you invited him and not me? Wow, you went on a work trip and you didn't even realize that you're gonna miss, you know, our son's birthday? Well, you I saw this meeting invite and it was forwarded to me, but I saw everybody else was included on in the original invite. Like, I guess I'm not that important to you. You know, all these little slights that we see in our lives, um, social gatherings. Oh, there's a barbecue and I got, you know, I happened to be walking by and they invited me in, but I wasn't on the original invite. All these little things, we want to make sure that we're included. And so I would say for you, everybody should be looking at their own peace model to make peace with change. I like that. That is really, really valuable stuff. And I appreciate you sharing that because I think taking that perspective of the peace model through the organization or through a leadership, but then also as an individual and their personal piece. Uh, I think that's really great. I really appreciate that, Alex. All right. Well, I want to wrap it up, but when I wrap up all my interviews, I like to ask something that is a little more broad and perhaps not as prepared for because it's kind of personal. But if there is one thing, one nugget of knowledge that you would like to share with people, and it can be a thought, it can be a one-liner, you know, maybe more, uh, but what's that one sort of thing that you feel is incredibly important to share, that one gem that you would want people to know about? That's a great question. Um, as someone who grew up in San Diego, and never thought he was leaving San Diego. Um, and I live in Chicago now, and I'm very happy here. Um, I have this quote. It's actually a post-it note that I have here on my keyboard. And the quote is, your life unfolds in proportion to your courage. Nice. And I think we look at the things that matter to us. And I think sometimes all of us have our own diving board that we're standing on, and we're wondering if we're going to jump in or not. And some of us have different diving boards of different areas of our life. And Dan Pink came out with a book of regret and saying that people's biggest regrets are all the, the big things that they didn't dive in and do. And so to me, it's a matter of like, what is your purpose and where do you find the courage to dive in? Nice. I like that. Very good, Alex. Perfect. That, that, that's right there on your keyboard, too. I love it. I love it. That is great. Well, Alex, it has been an absolute pleasure. If anyone listening would like to catch up with you or get in contact with you, where would you like to point them? Where, where should they go? Yeah, I moved to Chicago, didn't know anybody, and LinkedIn became my lifeblood. I made a community of uh, connections um, all over the world. So please find me on LinkedIn at Alex Yates. And if you want to have some fun banter, I'm also on Twitter at Smart Alexander. 
Excellent. Excellent. And uh, we'll put those links down in the show notes for those who find it easier just to click on a link than try and type stuff in themselves. Alex, again, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure, and I look forward to catching up with you again sometime in the future. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of We All Have Something. Thank you again, Alex, for for joining us and sharing all your insight and knowledge. And if you're looking for any more information on how to get a hold of Alex, I'll have the links below for his Twitter and for LinkedIn. And if you're looking to get a hold of me, you can always find me through my website, CoachRickSchwartz.com, or you can find me on social media at Coach Rick on just about any platform. You can also check out my YouTube page if you like. All of those links, all that information is down below in the show notes of this episode. And as a reminder for those of you who have been with me for the last 14 days straight as each new episode has come out, this episode marks the fact that we are now shifting over to weekly episodes. Every Tuesday morning, a new episode will come out. We're going to vary between interviews like we had today or just solo sort of deep dive into certain topics as I've done in the past. As we wrap this up, I also want to thank you all very much. If this episode or this podcast has served you in any way, I'd really appreciate subscribing, leaving a review, some stars. That helps to kind of boost the algorithm to get this information to those who are looking for it also. And feel free to share the episode too. You can always send a link to somebody if this information or other episodes have served you in any way. So with that said, I'll say what I always say. Have a good one, everybody. 